1: Welcome back to B2B Growth. I'm Leslie Cruz with Sweetfish Media, and we are continuing our deep dive into demand generation. I am very, very excited to be joined by Udi Lettergore, CMO at Gong, who obviously needs no introduction. (laughs) Udi, thank you so much for coming on the show.
0: Excited to be here, Leslie. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. I've been following you on LinkedIn for a while and um, listened to the interview you did a few months back with Chris Walker, was so inspired by it. Um, Really focusing on that impact of brand for B2B is so important. It was a really valuable episode for me personally. Like I mentioned before, I have so many things that I really want to talk to you about. But before we get too deep, you know, we are focusing this month on demand generation here on B2B Growth. So I do want to ask you, how in your own words, would you define demand generation?
0: I think demand generation at the broadest level is creating awareness of a category and a product in a way that motivates people to come seek you out, that you don't have to chase them and pay a lot of money to get them and pull them in, but you actually create the the infrastructure or the landscape that Allows them to easily discover you and and want to pull themselves into you, versus doing it the other way around.
1: Yeah. So defining that as building your own brand in a way that makes people seek you out—that's really interesting to me. Gong has been around for you know about five years now, and of those five years, I think you've been there running the marketing department for you know four and a half at least. Mm-hmm. So. What are some of the earliest things that you were doing to implement demand gen at Gong?
0: Great question. So I think there are probably three parts that I would talk about to the demand gen strategy and how I found them when I arrived and and how they've changed in the last four and a half years. So the the three components I I, I think are important to talk about are one brand and 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 brand awareness. Second one is. Inbound and the third one is outbound. So maybe, maybe let's just quickly define each of them in a sentence or two. So when I talk about brand, brand awareness, it's like, okay, have you heard of Gong? Uh, if you have not, that's, that's shame on me. If you've heard about us, but you're not quite sure what we do, that's a little bit better. If you've heard about us and you know what we do, but you realize that you're either a wrong fit or you're not quite ready, that's a little bit better. And if you know who we are, you know what we do and you're actively evaluating us because you realize that you need us, that's that's wonderful. So that's like the highest level of what we're trying to achieve. Outbound at the very basic level means that we have to invest resources in order to reach out to you to let you know about us and try and interest you in evaluating Gong. At the very practical level, that probably means having a, a sales development rep reach out to you, call you and say, hey, Leslie, I'm calling from Gong. i not sure if you've heard about us. We can do so-and-so for your team, and we'd love to, to get a chance to show you what you can do. That's expensive and hard to scale. It's possible, but it's expensive and hard to scale. What I consider inbound is, in the most narrow form, is that you, Leslie, have heard about us for quite a while, and when you're finally in a position of, say, a sales leadership team and you're ready to enjoy the benefits of Gong... You will either Google Gong to find us or or you'll know how to reach us somewhere else. And on our website, you'll ask for a demo request because you want to talk to a salesperson about evaluating Gong. So that that to me is the, the narrow and, and holy grail definition of inbound. So if we agree that those are the three main pieces, I would say that like most early stage startups, when I arrived at Gong, we had zero brand awareness. Nobody knew who Gong was. We had zero inbound because to come into our website or to know what we're even called to find us, you've got to have heard about us. And we were just getting started with outbound. So I think this is kind of typical of every early stage startup. Everybody wants to build an inbound machine, which you have to, but you've got to be realistic about the the time that that takes to do. If you start focusing most of your efforts or all of your efforts on inbound, you're going to run out of money and your investors trust before you've created enough traction to be meaningful. So what I've done and I've seen work at multiple companies is on day one, you get very aggressive about Outbound because the beautiful thing about Outbound, you don't need much of a brand to make it work. You buy a list of accounts and contacts. If I know that Leslie is the sales leader, I sit Eric the SDR down, I said, call Leslie, tell her this is what we do and this is why she should care and convince her to take a demo. With our CEO or or salesperson or whoever. And that can work on day one. You don't need a brand to do that, right? I I can say, Hi, I'm calling from purple elephants. I want to show you this new product. I know you never heard of us, but uh, I know who you are. And I think this can really help you. So that's what I would do again at at every early stage startup that hasn't yet built a brand or an inbound motion. Start with very aggressive outbound. That's going to build the pipeline that you need to get you to the next round and, and create that initial traction. Now, at the same time, you do have to start thinking about building a brand and awareness that will drive an inbound because the problem with outbound is that it is really, really expensive. And if you want to build a meaningful company to to bring in thousands of opportunities a month, doing that purely outbound is going to be really, really difficult and expensive. And you're and just not going to get to a, a unit economics that uh, investors or your CFO are going to like. So realize it's going to take time. Realize that the earlier you start, the earlier you'll see results. And then I'll and I'll end this, this long speech with this part. If you're doing this correctly, what you'll see is your brand awareness, and as a result of that, inbound will start from zero, but go up and to the right over time. And the outbound, you start very high up in the left. It'll start going down to the right in the terms of what percentage of your total pipeline comes from outbound. So when when I joined Gong, 100 percent of the pipeline was outbound, 0% was inbound. Today, only 60% of our pipeline comes from outbound and 40%, almost half, comes in from inbound because we build a brand and we're driving that traffic to, to come and seek us on their own.
1: Wow. That's great for anyone listening who is, you know, in a startup, in a small business, in a small company who wants to start implementing these demand gen strategies. And that's that's great. Um, So over time, how would you say you kind of refine those things and just make them better over time as you go?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So at the heart of both of our inbound and outbound strategies, uh, obviously, I I oversimplified things to, to make them actionable. But rather than having an SDR make cold calls all day, which nobody enjoys, right? Neither the SDR nor the prospects picking up the phone. We aim to help our SDRs and AEs have as many warm conversations as they can, even if they are outbound conversations. So even if they're calling someone that wasn't expecting to talk to a salesperson today, there's a big difference between saying, hey, I'm Udi from Acme. You've never heard of me. I know you weren't expecting my call. Give me 30 seconds before you slam the phone on me. Here's what I want. That That's a cold call. A warm call would be, Hi, Leslie. Udi calling from Gong here. I noticed yesterday you attended our virtual event and last week you downloaded our cheat sheet. So I wanted to, to hear feedback from you. How How is that going for you? What did you find valuable? And then I'll take you from that point in the conversation, which there's a lot of context and warmth because you've already seen value from my company. I'm just calling you about that now. So you're more inclined to give me the time of day. And then If I can tie the value that you got from that content into what I want to show you in my product, you're much more likely to say, okay, I'm I'm ready for that next step because I know you guys, I've been reading your content, I know you're legit, and you've already provided me with value. So at the heart of that outbound strategy, as well as our inbound strategy, is our content marketing engine. And very early on, we set out to create content that was extremely useful to our audience it gives them a lot of value without asking for anything in return knowing that some people will be consuming our content for years before they're ready to buy from gong so that's that's what we did and we looked around and we saw well there's over 100,000 books on sales if you go to amazon type books on sales you'll find over 100,000 books probably a lot more but they they stop counting them after 100,000 the problem is that most of those books are based on one or two people's opinions and experience. You know, a guy worked at Xerox carrying around a bag, saw a few things work for him, he wrote a book about it. Aaron worked at Salesforce, was the first SDR, did a few things that worked for him, he wrote a book about it. Now, some of those books are, are good and useful. I've, I've, I've read several of them. The problem is that they're based on very limited experience, and rarely are they based on data. So we said, what if we used our own technology to create this exclusive data that shows what actually works and doesn't work in sales, but not in a way that's open to conjecture or opinion, but actually what the data says, because many things do have an answer. When is the right time to call someone in the week? What is the right first line to use in the call? What is the best topics or subject lines to use in an email? There, There is a scientific answer that's backed by data. So we started creating this series that we call the Gong Lab Series. We started publishing this on a regular basis, and uh, we were right. People were very, very interested in what we had to say, and were consuming this data very, very quickly. And that's what helped us build our initial brand as a company that knows their stuff around what really works and doesn't work in sales. And so we ended up producing more and more articles and blog posts and then videos and then podcasts and events and webinars all around this content, getting more and more people in our web of information. And then they subscribe to our email list so we can send them more emails. And then they they attend our events and they follow our social media. So we have more and more ways of communicating with them and informing them when, when new stuff like this comes out. And then my, my rule of thumb is that 80 or 90% of the time we're providing this value and not asking for anything in, in return but I feel that that earns us the right in the remaining 10% of the time to put out an offer that says, okay, maybe now you're ready to, uh, to ask for your demo, or maybe now you wanna know about Gong pricing, or maybe now we can talk about getting Gong for your team. So, so that is the, 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 basic, the basic structure of any content marketing strategy is you cast a wide web by providing valuable content that people wanna consume for the value that it brings, and, in return, you own the right to occasionally not too often ask for something in return
1: that's really interesting, and I think that's what's so valuable about LinkedIn alone today because you know you can connect with so many different people and you just put content out, you know you're not asking for anything, you're just putting content out, people are taking it, they're reading it they're they're finding it valuable, they're taking what they see valuable, and then they might circle back with you and say, "Hey, you know, like Leslie, I see that you post all the time about demand gen and podcasting and this and that and Love to start a podcast, would love to know how, and there it is. And I didn't do anything at all. I mean, I'm not a salesperson, obviously, so <laughs> I didn't do anything. All I did was post my experience um, from my perspective in, in our company. So that's what I think is really valuable about that.
0: I agree. And you know, companies who are making good use of social media today, they know how to build a healthy balance between the corporate messages they wanna send out. I mean, yeah, occasionally you do need to promote a webinar to, to drive attendance, but if that's all you're doing on social media, nobody's gonna follow your brand. Nobody wants to hear from you because you're you're that boring guy, right? So if you look at companies like Gong, we have a whole bunch of employees that are creating their own original content. Sarah Brazier in sales, she started creating content uh, when she was an SDR. Andre McBride, currently in SDR at Gong. Devin Reed on our content team. But before that, he was on our sales team. And a whole bunch of other people, including myself, were creating content, not every single day. Sometimes I can go a week without posting. But we do post enough content that creates this excitement around what we're doing. It, it's, not, it's usually not about promoting our next webinar, right? It's usually about something exciting that uh, we wanted to share, a learning, something I think folks would truly find useful. If if all you're doing is boasting about we won this award and that award, you you become really boring. But if you want to share something about here's an opportunity because I'm hiring for this role that you might be looking for, or here's a really amazing conversation we're having with Magic Johnson next week that we'd love you to join for free, then then people want to join that sort of stuff. And and then you throw in the mix some of that corporate stuff. So when I do promote a webinar, it gets decent traction, Not, not great traction like when I post a video of me playing the piano, which I also do. Because I, I, right. I feel that if I bring my whole self to social media, people respond better to all of my posts, not to just those posts, because they see me as a, as a whole human being and not some robot that, that's, you know, mindlessly posting webinar invites.
1: Yeah, and they respect you as a person, not just a CMO, which I think is really valuable. For this next question, it's a relatively broad question. You know, marketing is constantly evolving. So I'm curious, where do you think that demand gen as a whole is headed in the future? What's next?
0: I think as companies think about building their brand and driving demand, the the one thing that's constantly been changing in recent years, and it's part of this you know information explosion and the ease in which your prospects can access information about your company, is that you need to expect that your prospects are going to collect most of the information that they need before they ever contact the company. And you have to make that information available to them by amplifying your customer stories and knowing that they're going to read reviews on sites like G two and Captera before they come to your website or even decide they want to talk to you. So all these partly guerrilla marketing te- techniques and others, just making sure you control how your brand shows up wherever you can. You you've got to focus that a lot more than on getting the exact words right on your website because someone who made it to your website. They're at a pretty advanced stage of deciding to buy your product. You know, you you still have to have a good website that converts them. But, uh, if that's where you're putting 90% of your work, that, that's a big, big mistake because that's where a very small percentage of your audience is going to end up at the end of their process of buying. You've got to make sure that you show up at the industry events, at the uh, community organizations and the reviews websites at, Every place where your audience goes to consume information and to exchange thoughts, whether it's a certain social media network, whether it's local chapters of a local organization, that's where you need to show up. And that's what creates the demand. And that's what creates the awareness. If if people wherever they go, and I we hear this a lot, right? People say to us, you know, someone mentioned Gong to me a, a few one weeks or months ago. And ever since every day I see Gong popping up somewhere on Social media and at an event, and a friend told me about it, and I saw someone on the train sitting uh, listening to gong calls, and you just show up everywhere that 's what you need that 's how you're going to drive demand it 's not about just building the best website in the world and and hoping that people are going to show up
1: absolutely. Switching gears a little here, James, our founder here at Sweetfish, and I were actually talking recently about how Gong made a decision to kind of change their category from conversational intelligence to revenue intelligence. And that was really interesting to us because you know you spent a lot of time and effort building that conversational intelligence category. So I would love to know a little bit about um, kind of what drove that decision to shift to more of a revenue intelligence category.
0: Absolutely. So that that's a decision that we made about 18 months ago. We launched revenue intelligence in October of 2019. Uh, after about three years of belonging to the conversation intelligence category. And here's sort of the timeline why we did that. So w- when we came out with the product, we needed to call it something that people would understand. And we looked around, we saw a couple of companies that were doing something that they call conversation intelligence. And, and our first product was close enough to what they were doing that we decided to pick that name. Embarking on a category creation journey is is long and difficult and expensive. And it's rarely the first thing you want to do if you don't absolutely have to do it. You first want to get customers who actually use your product and love it and and then think about positioning it so So that's what we did and and it was like half of an afterthought to 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 attach ourselves to conversation intelligence fast forward three years later, we came up with two problems that made us feel that we had outgrown the conversation intelligence category. one of them was all of the other companies in that category had a very narrow scope of of vision and product around what they do in conversation intelligence. It was mainly about recording calls and allowing people to use that for coaching purposes. And even back then, we had a much, much broader, farther out looking vision of what we wanna provide sales team with. We wanted to provide them a complete view of their customer reality, we wanted to allow them to focus on deals that need their help and we were talking about things that nobody else in the category was was talking about so we felt that a by attaching ourselves to conversation intelligence we're belittling how people see our product because they're looking at other products and they're very very narrow in scope so that's one thing we wanted to break out of the second thing and this one's more strategic as the company for the last couple of years has been going up market and We now support not only our thousands of small and medium-sized customers, but now we also support hundreds of really, really large businesses. Some of the largest companies in the world are using Gong. And we found that to get the attention of a senior sales leader and keep it, we need to be talking about something strategic that she cares about. And when we went to a chief revenue officer and talked to her about conversation intelligence, we often got bumped down to sales enablement because she said, well, that sounds like a tactical tool, go talk to so-and-so from, from enablement. And we wanted to make sure we're talking about something that she cares about that she could not bump us down, that is in her responsibility. And after a, a process that took us a few months, um, we landed on revenue intelligence. And it was a very good bet because A, the CRO cares about revenue, Mm -hmm. And we've been getting a lot more time with these senior sales leaders since we launched revenue intelligence, because now it's a strategic tool for the revenue leader and not a tactical tool for enablement. It definitely helped us break apart from all the small niche players and conversation intelligence that are still mainly focused on call recording. And I'll end with this. If I look at the last 18 months, there's so many companies that have now renamed their category or their products or their messaging to mirror that of Gong's and talk about revenue intelligence that that might be the clearest sign that what we're doing is working and that they're feeling how far behind they've been left by Gong that they want to try and catch up by by mirroring some of that messaging and and framing their their category so that that's clearly working and obviously we we welcome more and more players in the category just uh, reinforces that what we've built is is real, has a ton of demand, and and there is room for other players.
1: Yeah, like you said, I mean clearly it's working, so that's that's really inspiring, and um, it doesn't put you in that box, like you said, it lets you out of that, and not just in this little section. You know, you have more of a range. So, well, I can't. End this interview without asking you about the Super Bowl ad. I just can't do it. Um, So, for those of you listening, um, I'm sure you've seen it. If you haven't seen it, you've definitely heard about it. But Gong actually ran an ad in the Super Bowl um, this past year. And, you know, this makes so much sense. And I was still really shocked and honestly very excited when I saw the commercial. I saw it, you know, live. And you rarely see a B2B SaaS company doing a Super Bowl commercial, if ever. So can you just briefly share the thought process behind that? And how how did that idea come about? What was the end goal there?
0: So if you've been following Gong for a while, it, it probably wasn't a huge surprise for you that Gong did something crazy like that. Because there's nothing that, that excites me more than getting crazy ideas, either myself or from team members or from inspiration I get externally. Uh, I, we love doing crazy things. It's what gets you... Crazy results. If you do what people call best practices, they're actually ordinary practices because everybody's doing them. So you get ordinary results. If you want extraordinary results, you've got to do something extraordinary. And that's never a best practice because otherwise you go back to that being a, an ordinary practice. So when um when I became aware of uh sort of the the options of advertising the Super Bowl and that it doesn't have to cost millions of dollars like most people figured. And I stopped correcting people when they said, oh, Gong spent $5 million on their Super Bowl commercial. We we spent a tiny, tiny fraction of that. But I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. I don't mind you thinking that I've got that sort of budget, but I don't. I, I was intrigued because A, nobody has done it before, which is what automatically gets me excited. Like Nobody in our space, no sales tech company that I know of in the history of the Super Bowl has ever advertised on the Super Bowl. So that definitely got me excited. And um there is a bit of flexing in it, right? Because you see a company like Gong in the Super Bowl, you go like, wow, these guys are really super successful. So that was part of what we were going for. B, I knew that... And and this is what I've been doing for... Every time I do something out of the normal digital realm of LinkedIn and Google, like when I do out-of-home advertising, or I wrap cars, or I do something like that, by mirroring that and amplifying that on social media, I get so much bang for my buck because I know that I've got a really highly targeted audience on LinkedIn and in my email list and in my virtual events. So if I can do things outside of that realm and then bring them back into that realm by doing a simple digital campaign amplifying our Super Bowl commercial on LinkedIn, that's where I got thousands and thousands of relevant views of the commercial. Even if not everyone watching the Super Bowl was in my target audience, I can just mirror that for almost 0 dollars in in my, you know, home networks where I know that that the right audience is watching. So that was that was also part of it. So I think, A, it's part of our category creation because, you know, when, once a company goes Super Bowl, you know that this is not some questionable startup that may or may not be there tomorrow. This is now a, mm-hmm. a successful category, and this is the leader advertising on Super Bowl primetime. You know that they're, they're a company here to stay. And if you had any doubts about should I get this now or should I sit this out and see how it works out? Uh, we got a lot of calls the next day saying, hey, we saw you on the Super Bowl. We, we've been sitting on the fence for a, for a while now. But that sort of pushed us off to say, OK, we, we need to look at this now. I had an interview with some candidate the, the couple of days later. And she said, you know, the reason I took the call from the recruiter is because I saw your Super Bowl commercial. True story. Wow. And then the last thing I'll say on that is that I think a lot of marketers and even more so their CEOs and CFOs, Get too hung up on attribution, which is a huge, huge challenge that will remain unsolved for the foreseeable future for, for marketers. And at Gong, we are not obsessed about attribution. My rule of thumb, which is supported by by my leadership team, is about 80% of my program budget, I'll put on things that I should be able to measure their direct impact on pipeline and revenue. The remaining 20%, leave me alone and let me do my crazy experiments. Um, I will do things that There is no way to measure. If they work extraordinarily well, I think we'll know. And if we don't know, then they probably did work extraordinarily well, and we'll just move on and and mark that as a learning from that experiment. Fortunately for me, uh, Super Bowl was one of those things that worked really, really well. During Super Bowl week, we broke all records and had the biggest week of all times at Gong for new business opportunities created. So yeah. even my skeptic CFO, we love you, Tim, when he saw those numbers, he was like, OK, I guess I was wrong. So Super Bowl really performed well for us, even without being able to track, you know, people who were sitting with their Dorito chips on the couch mm-hmm. watching the Super Bowl. And were those the exact same people that came in the following day? Some of them were, some of them were not. But is it possible there was a coincidence that Super Bowl week during our su- first Super Bowl commercial Coincidentally, have the biggest week of new business uh, created? Probably not. And everyone understands that, even without being able to perfectly track that attribution, uh, those things are highly correlated, and and there's probably causality there as well. So that that was an experiment that turned out very very well. Many other experiments don't turn out as well, but we just learn from them and move on and try the next big thing.
1: Absolutely, I love um, you talking about attribution because that's so prevalent in this topic. Even I, I feel like people are so focused on the attribution and. They shouldn't be, you know, it's not, not so important to look at, we have to measure everything because everything can be measured. So that's an important topic.
0: You've got to do what's right to bring business to the company. And that includes being creative and trying crazy stuff. And a lot of those edgy, crazy stuff cannot be easily attributed I'm so glad that most companies are so conservative that they don't even try doing this stuff because it, it leaves all that space for me to experiment with and grab everyone's attention. So uh you, you keep doing your attribution, I'll keep doing my crazy stuff.
1: Yeah, you'll just keep doing Super Bowl commercials. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Udi, thank you so much. Um, any final thoughts here? This has been so insightful for me and I know our listeners will find it um, so valuable as well. So thank you.
0: Final thoughts. I guess one, if, if you want to connect with me, just look up Udi Lettergore on LinkedIn. Only one Udi Lettergore on LinkedIn. So it should be pretty easy to find. Uh, the other Lettergore you'll find is my husband. So it can't confuse us. He's the doctor. He does the real work on marketing. <laughs> and uh, finally, if, if you're in sales and not yet using revenue intelligence, then um, as, as one of our biggest customers recently said, you, you're being Highly irresponsible for not using revenue intelligence in 2021. So you've got to go to gong.io and check it out for yourself.
1: Absolutely. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining me for B2B Growth.
0: Thank you, Leslie. At Sweetfish, we're on a mission to create the most helpful content on the internet for every job function and industry on the planet. For the B2B marketing industry, this show is how we're executing on that mission. If you know a marketing leader that would be an awesome guest for this podcast, shoot me a text message. Don't call me because I don't answer unknown numbers, but text me at 407-490-3328. Just shoot me their name, maybe a link to their LinkedIn profile, and I'd love to check them out to see if we can get them on the show. Thanks a lot.